Section 3, Careers of Danger and Daring, by Cleveland Moffat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Careers of Danger and Daring, by Cleveland Moffat. Something about explosive balloons and the wonders of hydrogen. One day, the professor told me about some rainfall experiments with balloons that he had conducted years ago for the government. There was a theory to be tested that loud explosions at a height will make the clouds pour down rain, and some gentlemen in the Department of Agriculture were anxious to set off as loud an explosion as possible, say a thousand feet up in the air. Professor Myers received this commission and proceeded at once to Washington with a gas-filled balloon 12 feet in diameter. <coughs> Don't you think that balloon is rather small? asked one of the gentlemen. No, said Myers, I should call it rather large. The other man shook his head. I'm afraid it won't make enough noise to test our theory. Well, said the professor, I can see his eyes twinkling. If this balloon doesn't make enough noise, we'll get a bigger one. They took the balloon some miles out of Washington, the professor insisted on this, filled it with terribly explosive mixture of oxygen and hydrogen, and sent it up about a quarter of a mile with an anchor rope holding it and a wire hanging down to a little hand dynamo or blasting machine. As they made ready to turn this dynamo, Professor Myers lay flat on his back, eyes glued to the balloon, confident but curious. The handle turned, a spark jumped at the other end, and the ball of silk seemed to swell enormously, then vanish with a flash of a thousand shivers of silk. On this came the sound, a smashing, tearing blast, louder than any thunder crash or roar of cannon. It flattened men to the ground, killed hundreds of little fish in a stream nearby, bursting their air bladders, knocked over a bowling alley like a house of cards, frightened cattle, and brought down rain in torrents within eight minutes. The agricultural gentlemen were more than satisfied and adopted the professor's system for extended rainfall experiments, only these, for obvious reasons, were moved to the lonely and arid plains of distant Texas. It wasn't much fun living down there, said the professor, but we got rain whenever we wanted it. What would happen, I inquired, if a very large balloon filled with this explosive mixture were set off over a crowded city? The professor shook his head in awed contemplation of this possibility. It would work fearful destruction. If large enough, and there is no difficulty in obtaining such a size, it would wipe out the existence of whole blocks of houses and the people in them. It would destroy an army. In the course of our talk, I discovered a mystic side, very unexpected in the professor's nature. He used to speak of hydrogen, for instance, with a certain amount of reverence, as if it were something endowed with life and a consciousness, a powerful spirit. One would say, not merely a commonplace product of chemistry, a gas from a retort. I have often wondered, he said one day, as my basket has swept me along, 
what there is in this silken bag above me that lifts me thus over mountains and cities. I look up into the balloon through the open mouth, and I see nothing. I hear nothing. I smell nothing. None of my senses answer any call. Yet somehow, strangely, in a way I can't explain, I perceive a presence. It would not be at all the same to me were the balloon filled with air, though it would be the same to all my senses. Again and again I have noted this thing, that hydrogen makes itself known to men when they're near it. He paused a minute as if to observe my attitude, to see if it were one of scoffing. I made no remark, but begged him to go on. After all, he continued, even the books allow to hydrogen's properties that are very amazing. It is the lightest of all things. It passes through and beyond all things. It is the nearest approach we know of to absolutely nothing. Who can say that it is not related to the land of nothing to... He hesitated. You mean? said I. I don't know what I mean. I only wonder. Take this case that happened at Ogdensburg, New York, during an ascension we made there. We had filled the balloon with hydrogen and were getting ready to start when the valve cords that hang down inside the bag from the valve at the top became twisted and drew out of reach from the basket. In vain I tried to get them free by poking at them with sticks and long-handled things. The cords would not come down, and of course no sane man would make an ascension with his balloon valve beyond control. There was nothing for it but to get inside that great gas bag and undo the tangle with my hands. So I called 15 or 20 men to catch hold of the netting and pull the struggling balloon down over me until I could reach the cords. Then I... Wait a minute, I interrupted. Were you standing inside the balloon so that you had to breathe hydrogen? The professor smiled. I stood inside the balloon, but I breathed nothing. I held my breath, which is one of the things I've practiced. Before I went inside, I told my wife to note the time by her watch, and if I did not come out by 120 seconds, to have the men drag me out. You see, I knew I could hold my breath 120 seconds, but no longer. Well, we carried out the plan, and I freed the cord in less than my limit of time, and then the uncanny part of it, at least it seemed so to me. I had read that hydrogen will not transmit sound, but never tested it. It is true I had at various times taken hydrogen into my lungs, but never have I tried to speak in hydrogen. Now was my chance, and with all the remaining breath, I shouted as loud as I could inside that balloon. Think of it. There was my wife and the men a few feet distant, with only the thinnest piece of silk between us, and the gas that was like nothing. Yet my cry, that would have reached perhaps a half a mile into the air, could not penetrate the little void. To those outside the balloon, it was as if I had not opened my lips. They heard nothing, not even a whisper. I believe you might fire a cannon inside a bag of hydrogen, and no faintest rustle of the discharge would reach your ears. So you see, a world of hydrogen would be a voiceless world. Did you say that you breathed hydrogen, I asked? Yes, I have breathed it up to the danger point. I know all the sensations. That is, first, a mild exhilaration, then a sense of sickening and head throbbing, and finally, a delicious languor that leads to, into stupor. When you get there, it's time to stop. 
In making ascensions, we have to be very careful not to breathe too much gas from the balloon neck, which hangs opened over the basket. More than one aeronaut has been gradually overcome without realizing that he was in danger. The professor went on to tell of other singular things about this subtle gas, notably that, speaking within limits, the higher you want a balloon to rise, the less hydrogen you put in it. If you fill a balloon full of hydrogen, it will rise to no great height and is very apt to burst, since the gas has no space to expand in. And the way to keep a balloon rising is to make it expand more and more as it goes up, each foot of added volume displacing a foot of the air ocean, and to that extent added buoyancy. General Hazen and I, said the professor, once planned that someday, when we got an appropriation, we would go up in a balloon having a capacity of, say, 40,000 cubic feet, but carrying at the ground only 10,000 cubic feet of hydrogen. In other words, in a shrunken, quarter-filled balloon. Of course, as we rose and the air became rarefied, this hydrogen would expand against the decreasing air pressure, and at a height of two miles, our original 10,000 feet of gas might have swelled to 20,000 feet, at five miles to 30,000 feet, and so on. The last 10,000 feet of expansion would have brought us to no one knows what height, but certainly, we calculated, to the greatest height ever reached by a balloonist. He explained that the balloon record of seven miles claimed for Glacier and Coxwell, the English aeronauts, is not reliable, since the barometer used in that famous ascension, it was made in Wolverhampton, England, in 1862, could not register above five miles. And what was accomplished beyond that height is a matter of pure conjecture, and must be less than might be done by the Hazen Myers plan, since Glacier's balloon, by a serious oversight, was started on its flight nearly full of hydrogen instead of nearly empty. Oh, exclaimed the professor with a regretful look, why don't some of our very rich men think of these things? End of section three. Careers of Dangers and Daring by Clifford Moffat. Read by Jerry Becker.